Good morning. Happy Sabbath, Spring Meadows. I'd like to welcome those who are joining us from home as well. Is God good this week? He's always good, amen? All the time God is good. I pray that you've experienced his goodness this week through his glory and his grace in your life and your family. I'd like to thank our worship team for blessing us with our music this morning. We are filled and we believe the Lord's heart has been filled as well from our worship towards him. So thank you. I want to share with you a, a thought that occurred to me this past week. And I, I love history, uh, especially American history. And I came across some, uh, some information from my home state of Pennsylvania that I thought was interesting uh, from the World War II era. And the task was, was simple, and maybe that's a huge understatement. We had to win the war. This is World War II. But the problem was the United States was still in the throes of the Great Depression during this time. This is right before we entered the war. Many Americans were not particularly interested in what was happening over there, overseas. It wasn't our business, it wasn't our problem, because they were more worried about money, food, jobs, things that mattered here at that time. Millions of Americans were still on government assistance, and industrial production was an all-time low, stagnant for years from the Depression. Military spending was weighed down, the list of government priorities. And the military here in America was 19th in the world. They were still using World War I technology. Some even biplanes, uh, decades old. President Roosevelt, or president at that time, realized that the armed forces would need to be upgraded if America was to go to war, which we were not thinking about quite yet. But with morale so low in the country, everybody was still reeling over what was happening around them in their personal lives, in their economy. The country was divided. It seemed doubtful to even make any progression. But on December 7th, 1941, all that changed. And you know that date in our history, it was Pearl Harbor. Suddenly, things changed in an instant. It shocked and horrified the country, but it also galvanized and unified it at that very moment. Everyone, this, this country that was reeling from the Depression, suddenly bands together. It's amazing when you think about it. If you've ever read the history of what happened during that time, it is nothing short of miraculous what our country did as far as coming together and preparing for what was ahead. They came together to win the war. Life as usual was put on hold. As government contracts rolled in, factories and industries began retooling and rehiring. They changed everything to accommodate the war effort. And before it was over, and here's some stuff from Pennsylvania that I thought was pretty amazing, Pennsylvania steel mills were churning out one-fifth of the entire world's steel supply. Bethlehem Steel, where my grandfather worked, alone produced more steel than Germany, Italy, Japan combined from a, a, a dull and, and lifeless economy. Suddenly things start turning around. The Philadelphia Navy Yard rushed to bring the 16th Fleet out of the mothballs and to build new destroyers, new battleships to a huge fleet. In Allentown, Pennsylvania, not too, from where, too far from where I live, Mack trucks switched to producing heavy trucks, half tracks. In Philadelphia, J.G. Brill quit making trolley undercarriages and manufactured gun carriages. PA companies developed and produced everything from armor, plating, to oil tankers, from penicillin to my hometown of Hershey, PA, making deration bars for the troops overseas. 
the American Batman car company in Butler, PA, designed and produced the first Jeeps, the forerunner of today's 4x4s that we see. A Pittsburgh manufacturer stopped building river barges and towboats to build new class of landing craft that was used on D-Day. Engineers at the University of Pennsylvania designed the ENIAC, that's the acronym, the world's first digital computer to help the Army compute weapons trajectories. In one year, the Philadelphia Quartermaster Depot purchased enough military uniform cloth to go four times around the equator. Things change in a moment. Everybody came together. Altogether, more than four million Pennsylvanians in particular volunteered or worked in civil defense and war-related industries. We see this across the country. They were all ages and backgrounds, had different opinions about the war, but they came together. And that's what it would take with the same idea of what it would take to win. But they all worked in unison as a community with every other American and the allies that we had overseas. It was an amazing feat. And our nation became a community that banded together to accomplish a shared vision and a goal to win the war. And that's exactly what happened. As I read that history, I realized something, and it's something we all know, but sometimes we need to be reminded of it, that together is powerful. Together is powerful. Community is powerful. There is power when we come together, just as human beings. But as we'll see today, when we are united with the unlimited power of heaven, there is a limitless supply of God's goodness and his strength to accomplish what he has willed, what he has deemed, what he has called and ordained you and I to accomplish by his grace. As we've been going through this series so far, we've been talking about renewing community. What it means to renew community. And we started with the Godhead, and we recognize that God himself exists in community, that because of the Trinity, because of the, the God who's three in one, that the minimum of agape love truly to experience it is a minimum of, fr- of three. But the singleness of purpose for our salvation, for creation, they work together in unison. And then at creation, we learned last week that God expresses his character, this identity of community within his creation from the creatures he's created to human beings. He creates within us the desire and the necessity to live in community and to grow community, not just biologically, but emotionally. He's called us. That's why he says it's not good for man to be alone. He intended for us to live in community. That's why he said, be fruitful and multiply, because he intended for us to expand and multiply community, because that's his heart. To share his love, he must create, he must expand community, because his heart is so big, his love is so vast, his love is never-ending. And so he's called us, he's created us to experience the same joy of building and establishing and living in community. The awesome part is in Genesis chapter 1 that when Adam and Eve were created, the Bible says that they felt no shame. They were naked. They felt no shame. That a pure relationship totally open to one another, totally transparent, nothing to hide between them and their God. Fully open with no sense of shame. What an amazing picture. A perfect vertical and horizontal community that was established at creation. And God says, be fruitful. A healthy community reproduces. 
It's amazing as we think about we as, as the body of Christ. If we too are reflect the image of God, we too must be in the, in the action, in the act of reproducing as Christians. That's what we've been called to do as we make disciples for the kingdom. But it's not just there. You know, there, there was a, a man who visited a, a prison. There's a maximum security prison with a lot of notorious criminals. And as he was in the maximum security area, he noticed there was just guards everywhere. Now, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I remember at some prisons nearby, there was riots about once or twice a year, and they'd be on the news. People got hurt, sometimes even killed. And it was when these, these inmates would band together, and they would, they would uh, take over the prison at times. And so, in most prisons that are, that are volatile like this, we see tons of guards everywhere to try to prevent this. And so he's there, he, he recognizes that, but then he goes into the portion of the prison where those who are guilty of heinous crimes but have been deemed criminally insane are held. And as he goes in this portion of the prison, he notices a stark difference. He looks around, and instead of guards everywhere, there's only two guys there in the whole large area with all of these inmates who are violent criminals but deemed criminally insane. And he didn't understand. He goes to the one, the one guard. He says, well, well, why is it that there's so few of you? There's only two of you for all these guys in here. How do you keep things under control? And the guy just chuckled. He says, it's simple. He said, one thing that we realize is that 99% of the criminally insane will never, ever join together and collaborate to take over the prison. They're loners. The criminally insane will not collaborate and cooperate they will do their own thing. And I'm not comparing us to them, by the way. <laughs> we come to our own conclusions. But I want us to note that community can be powerful for the good or for the bad. We can be together, working together for something positive. But an equal and even, even sometimes more, we can be collaborating to something that is destructive. But community is powerful. God establishes two things in creation. He establishes the Sabbath and marriage, two institutions that would have been there even before sin and even after sin. Marriage and the Sabbath were created before sin ever entered the picture. Why? Because God institutes these two things, these sacred rites, the sacred day to build community. That's why we're here today, to build community with God and with each other. He creates these two things, marriage and the Sabbath. Because God is a God of community, and he's created us for community. Many of us keep the day but totally divorced from building community with God and with other people. But we see in the Bible, in this Genesis account, that, that this perfect community did not last forever. It doesn't seem that it lasted very long at all. Because Eden existed only as Adam and Eve continued to live in true community with God. Eden only existed as Adam and Eve continued to live in true community with God. But after Adam and Eve sinned, they ate the forbidden fruit, that was broken. And this is an interesting picture as we look. Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 as we look at this account, which we've read many times before. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. As soon as they ate the fruit, they disobeyed God, something happens. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. That before they were, they were not ashamed, but now there was fear. Now there was shame. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. 
We've been doing that ever since with our own devising, trying to cover our sin, cover ourselves instead of what God has already provided. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love this picture, by the way, because it, it appears that this is something that was happening quite regular. And so God is, is coming to the garden as he always had to meet with them in the cool of the day, to walk and to talk, to commune with, with his creation, with his loved ones, with his children. But this time was different. The Bible says that Adam and Eve this time did what? They hid themselves. You know, you probably heard the story of the new pastor who, who came into his new church district and he was out visiting on a, a Friday. He was visiting his members and he comes to a house. He had some great visits. He comes to a particular house and sometimes as a pastor, you come to a house and you know they're home, okay? You, you, we, we know sometimes that you're home, not all the time, but we can sometimes, especially when you're peeking through the blinds, we, we know you're there, that's okay. Sometimes we'll knock on the door. We usually call ahead of time, by the way, but, but this particular time he pops in, he was in the neighborhood, and the cars were there, and they don't come to the door. And see, so he was agitated. And so this pastor takes his business card and puts Genesis 3.10, slides it in their door, and leaves. Well, the following Sabbath, and you may have heard this story before, he, he comes and they collect the offering, and he's going through the offerings after the service, and, and a, his car was right back there in his offering plate. But under Genesis 3.10, it also said uh, Re- Revelation 3.20. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That was the pastor's words to the people at the door. But Genesis 3.10 is what the people wrote in the card the next week. They said, and he was, he was counting the offering. He read this, and it read, and he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. <laughs> we we, we got to be gracious sometimes. But now there was broken community, not from God's end. We see God come seeking lost people. That's how God works. He doesn't wait for us to come to him. He comes after us. God is a God of community and even reestablishing broken community. He makes the effort. He takes the steps. He wants to reestablish that love with us and that brokenness. He doesn't wait for us. He initiates the conversation. He initiates the movement. And so we see this brokenness with God and they're hiding from him. Look at verse 12 and 13. It says, Then the man said to the woman, said, The woman you gave me after God asks what happened here, what's going on, how did you know you're naked? Who told you? The woman you gave me, he says, she gave me the tree and I ate. It's her fault. You gave me this woman who was supposed to be my, my partner, and look what she caused me to do. Look what she led me into. And the Lord said to the woman, What is it you've done? The woman said, it's the serpent deceived me, and I ate. What we see here is, is something happening that, we, that we've all experienced and probably participated in. We pass judgment. First, they pass judgment on each other. Broken community causes us to judge each other in this, in this, in this human, humanity that we are a part of. Judgmentalism is the greatest curse to community. We see it all the time. People always pass judgment on others to avoid being judged themselves. But also they end up passing judgment on God, saying, God, it's the woman you created. It's the serpent you created. It's it's kind of your fault. We even start judging God. 
when we break community with him. But then we see something happen. Cain and Abel are born. Community expands under this fallen world, this fallen system. God puts in place the plan of salvation. But in chapter 4, verse 12, it says that Cain does something. He leaves, he runs away, and it says that he built a city. And something that's interesting is that cities came after rebellion. Cities came after rebellion, which ultimately occurred and transpired at the Tower of Babel, where they wanted to make a name for themselves, defy God, and magnify this broken community that took place there at the fall. And something that's interesting is this, is that a city, a city is a place where people are living close together, but not in community. We can have millions of people living close together, but with no community, not interacting, not loving or caring about each other, not being dependent upon each other. Just think of the word community as it is. The word really means commune or to, to rely and to, and to cooperate, to be together. Cities many times are just the opposite. When I was uh, just starting out at Port Charlotte, man, it was 10 years ago now, uh, my wife and I moved into a neighborhood. We rented for a year, and then a house there came for sale, and so we, we ended up purchasing in that same neighborhood. It was a, it was a gated community, um, and, and for four months we were there, at least four months, and we just didn't see anybody outside. We are like, this place is kind of dead. Are there even neighbors living here? We were the last house on the block, so we were kind of at the very end, the last one that was built at that time. And so we were thinking, man, there's, there's nothing happening here. But oddly enough, after about three or four months, we kind of see people walking around the sidewalks. And eventually, and Brandon was like four years old at that time, three and a half, four, we see some kids out. And that was exciting. We were like, great, there's actually children in Port Charlotte. It's like a huge retirement community. If there's no kids there. And there's kids, we're like, oh, yes, Brandon's going to have some, some kids to play with. And so we see a couple there, and we start talking, and we met them. And, and it was cool because this couple immediately said, hey, we see you have a son. He's, he's our son's age. We start talking, get to know each other. They said, hey, we're having a get-together tonight. They just met us. We're having a get-together tonight with other neighbors. Why don't you guys come? And we're like, really? Okay, we just met. You're inviting us to a party. That's cool. And so we go. Some on the conversation it came up that I was a pastor. It's weird. Sometimes when that comes up in a conversation with new people, they start acting really weird. Oh, you're a pastor. Huh? We better change what we're saying. You know how it goes. But, but we're talking there, and, and eventually just things start to, to loosen up. We get to know them. They even start joking around about me being a pastor, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and so that was the beginning of something that we experienced in that neighborhood. It was amazing because we met these families um, they weren't even, none of them were church members. These are just people in our community. And from then on, especially with this couple, um, Marty and Jenny Johnson, uh, we, we just became just super close, like family. And uh, we'd go there for, for holidays, for uh, different events. And so uh, just an amazing relationship, even to this day that, we've, that we established there. Uh, she was from Mississippi. He's from Alabama. And, and, uh, and she would... Uh, she would introduce us to southern foods like, I never had this before, like grits with gravy and cheese. I'd never had gravy and grits before that. It was, but now I love it. It's good. But they're introducing us to southern foods that we never had. And we grew close and, and just so many memories of laughing together, holidays together, our kids playing together. One thing I remember during that experience is that we came to that neighborhood simply being part of a neighborhood. 
But that was a transitional point because we went from experiencing being part of a neighborhood to suddenly being part of a community. It was, it was totally different. Before, we were just there in the neighborhood, living close to people, not knowing anything about them. But suddenly, people took interest in us, invited us to be part of their world and us and theirs. And suddenly, we were laughing together, sharing our stories together, our, our pains, our discouragements, our troubles at work, whatever it was, we became like family right there in that little neighborhood in Port Charlotte. It was funny. Uh, Jenny, I remember she, uh, living in Mississippi, she goes, you know, I didn't know anything about Adventists before we met you guys. She said, the only thing I knew about you guys, we had a small Adventist church in my town in Mississippi. But, but honestly, she goes, we knew nothing about them. They had this little church, and they'd kind of come in on Saturday and leave, but we never saw anything else. <laughs> she was like, we just thought they were kind of strange because we never even really knew they were there. And, and it made me think, I was like, wow, I said, how many of our churches maybe are experiencing that same thing or, or causing that experience? A question I've always asked, you've heard this before, if our church was removed from our community today, would anybody know the difference? Are we helping to establish and build community where we're at, where God's planted us as a church? Or are we just simply here doing our own thing? People seeing us come in and out of the building, and really that's about it. It opened my mind. It opened my, my heart and my eyes to how any of us can be. Um, some of you have been praying uh, for, Je- sorry, for Jenny. Um, she just passed away yesterday. Yeah, she, uh, she's resting in Jesus. She was battling cancer. But the community that we had experienced with them, we will always remember. And even as she was in the hospital, we got to drive and see her one last time a week ago. And she was not able to communicate. But we were able to laugh with Marty, even despite the horrible situation, to share those moments together with them. All because this couple took us in. And made us part of their world, their community. Broken relationships don't build community. They build cities where people are distant from one another. Sometimes our churches can be like cities. Unfortunately, sometimes, but not this church, by the way. Let me just clarify, not this church. But sometimes our churches can be like cities. Not just the big ones. It can be small ones. We can all have the city mentality. We're trying to build great empires to make a name for ourselves, great institutions with no community. Have you ever walked into a church where you just had no sense that anybody was interacting, that anybody even noticed you were there? I've been there. I praise God for this church. You can't come through these doors without getting a hug or a handshake. Well, more hugs again, it looks like. But you experience community here. We are blessed here because of that. There's many places that don't experience that. But we are not here simply to be a blessing to each other, but also it forms an amazing platform and foundation for what God wants to do outside the walls of this church. He's planted us here, not for us, but for everybody else outside. He's not caused, called us to just simply build community here, 
But because the community we've built here through God's grace, he's called us to go out and build community with our neighbors, our friends, to be his community wherever you are at. That's what he's called us to do. He's called us to build community. We as Christians are active participants in restoring broken community caused by the fall. God has called his church through Jesus Christ as the main objective, his main modus operandi, his main vehicle to restore broken community. Spirit-filled, grounded in Jesus, he has called us, informed us, he has, he has empowered us to restore the broken community that the fall has caused, to bring people to a knowledge of Jesus, the only one who can restore broken relationships, broken community with the Godhead. Jesus bridges the gap. The plan of salvation fulfilled in Christ provides this opportunity. The church is God's plan. John 17, if you'll turn there with me, Jesus' last prayer before the crucifixion. We see the importance of this whole idea of community with the Godhead. John chapter 17. Jesus is praying to his Father. In verse 14 he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He's praying to his Father on behalf of of his disciples, of believers. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he says, sanctify them, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, he says, I have also sent them into the world. Our mission is clear. Our calling is clear. Jesus makes it clear through his prayer. He's praying to his Father that you'd send us into the world. The disciples of every generation until he comes I have one objective, to go into the world. And for their sakes, he says, I sanctify myself. I am set apart. That they also may be sanctified by the truth. The truth of salvation in me, he's praying. He says, I do not pray for them alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's us today. He was praying for you and I ahead of time. Every believer who had come through the words of those first disciples, through generation to generation, he is praying for. He prayed for you and for me that very moment that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. He's praying for fellowship. He's praying for our calling. He's praying for our truth and commitment. And then he says, and the glory which you gave me, I, give th- I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them as you have loved me. He's praying that the blessed hope would be strong in our hearts, in our community. The blessed hope of his soon return. But notice he keeps repeating the importance of community, of oneness with him and with each other. That is the only way the world will ever know that Jesus came. The only way the world will ever know that Jesus came to redeem, to restore broken relationships by seeing it in you and I. Did you catch that? The only way the world will ever know that Jesus came to restore broken relationships with him is by witnessing us 
modeling restored relationships. It's a heavy weight. But with the Holy Spirit's power and with His filling and with the love of Jesus Christ flowing in and through us, we are conduits of His grace. And it will be and can be accomplished. It's interesting. At a meeting of the American Psychological Association, Jack Lipton, a psychologist at Union College, and R. Scott Bouillon, a, a graduate student at Columbia University, presented their findings on how members of various sections of 11 major symphony orchestras perceived each other. So if you're part of a symphony, if you've been part of an orchestra or a band, uh, you know, you, this may ring a bell or may sound familiar. I have not played an instrument, so I can't relate. But I want to share this. It says the percussionists, and here's what they found in their study across the board with 11 major symphony orchestras. He says, the percussionists were viewed by others in the, in the orchestra as insensitive, unintelligent, and hard of hearing, yet fun-loving. Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> if you're a percussionist, string players were seen as arrogant, stuffy, and unathletic. This is what they were saying. The orchestra members overwhelmingly chose loud as the primary objective to describe the, the brass players. Woodwind players seemed to be held in the highest esteem, described as quiet and meticulous, though a bit egotistical. So when you guys are playing together, you know what you're thinking of each other. Interesting findings, to say the least. With such divergent personalities and perceptions, how could an orchestra ever come together to make such beautiful music? It's easy. They all let it go. <laughs> they might think that, but they don't let it rule what's happening. But instead, they subordinate their feelings and biases to the leadership of the conductor. And under his guidance, they play beautiful music. And it's amazing because Jesus Christ, the author of our faith, while we're so different, while we look at each other and sometimes we, we judge, we have opinions. When our eyes are on Jesus, it all comes together. It all comes together. And Jesus does all things well. He makes all things beautiful. He makes a, a symphony of community with a ragtag group of people like you and I, like his disciples, who are imperfect, who are always off-key, messing up. And yet, through his perfect symphonic voice, things come together. A symphony of grace, established and experienced through community. One more music idea. I just wanted to read this to you because it was so poignant and fitting. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. Has it ever occurred to you, he says, that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers, 100 disciples meeting together, each one looking away to Jesus Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer relationship. Did you catch that? It's profound. When our eyes are on Jesus, 
We're closer to each other than ever possible otherwise. When our eyes are off of Jesus and on each other, we get farther apart. Eyes on Jesus, community is established. Wow. The author, the finisher of our faith. Ellen White says in Acts of the Apostles, Christ's name to his disciples was to be their watchword, their badge of distinction, their bond of union, the authority for their course of action, and the source of their success. Nothing was to be recognized in his kingdom that did not bear his name or his superscription. It was all about Jesus because he was the one who, who was their bond. He was their union. He was their community. The communion of Jesus Christ as his body. He's called us as one. Just yesterday, uh, I had the, the privilege of playing golf with some of our members here. And Bob, I'm gonna, I'm, Adam, I'm going to put a plug in here, okay? So, so Adam Rael is, is a resident golfer, golf instructor here. He's, he's amazing. Uh, and Adam has wanted to start a golf ministry. And so he, he did a little pilot this past Friday, just yesterday, and invited me and, and seven other guys. And so we had two teams. And uh, so we decided that most of us weren't very good, including myself. I'm getting better, practicing, learning. Uh, and so we were going to do a scramble. And if you've ever played golf, you know what a scramble is. It's you play the best ball. You all hit the ball, and you play off the best ball that's there. And so we divided in two teams, and, and we had a blast, but it was really fun. And I think we're going to be doing this maybe once a month. So if you're a golfer, I know there's others here, you'll be getting invitations, you'll be getting word for the next time, and we invite you to join us. If you're interested in learning about golf, it's a great time of fellowship, and it's a great time to build community. But in my team, uh, one of my teammates said something to me as we were doing the scramble, playing the best ball. And, and once again, you, you hit the ball, and you, you play off the best one, right? And they, they said something that I thought was profound. They, they said, wouldn't it be amazing if heaven was like a scramble? They said, each one of us winning because of the accomplishments of the others on the team. What if, what if heaven was like that, where we were all living in community and, and building off of each other's accomplishments in Jesus? And I thought about it through the afternoon. I said, man, I said, can I use that tomorrow because it fits right in my sermon? And they said, yes. That was, that was divine, divine appointment that, that came. But I thought about this, and the reality is, is that's exactly what heaven is like. Because we don't win or lose in the merits of our good or bad performance in the course of life. We move forward. We stay on the course on the merits of Jesus Christ alone and his performance. So it is a scramble, but it's not at each other. But as our eyes are on Jesus, we play off of his finished work, his perfect accomplishments, because all of ours fall way short. We're hooking, we're drawing in the sand traps of life. We're, we're messing up all over the place. But Jesus is always straightforward. He is always perfect. And he has, he has accomplished the course. He has finished well. He has finished perfectly. And he invites us to take his perfect scorecard and take our messed up one and place his right there in front of it. And now his perfect score is ours because of his substitutionary death. Can we say hallelujah to that? That's the grace of God. Not because we have played a good game of life. Because Jesus has accomplished the perfect one. And in him, through his death and life, we have the free gift of salvation solely in him. Many of us keep going through the scramble of life. Trying to play off the best ball of somebody else. Trying to, to keep up with somebody. But 
the whole time, Jesus has already accomplished it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the conductor. He is the captain. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He's done all things well, looking unto him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down the right hand of the throne of God on our behalf. And we sit now in heavenly places in Jesus. We are seated by the throne of God in Christ through his righteousness, his merits, his goodness, not ours. Because there's no way we'd ever be there if it wasn't for him. That's why, as we are his representatives here on earth, that he's chosen his church, as imperfect as it is, and at times seeming ready to fall apart, in our weakness, we are strong in him. The church of God is God's plan for this world to reestablish broken community. You know, as, as pastors, sometimes we, we receive uh, small gifts from, from individuals. I, I remember in Port Charlotte, um, I did an evangelistic series, and I, I spoke at that series, and uh, an individual came and uh, came through the whole meetings, uh, really appreciated the messages, but wasn't ready to, you know, jump on board. And so, so we became friends. And, uh, and so this individual was moving to New York, and he came one, he says, can I meet you at the office? I just want to say goodbye, bring you something. I was like, sure. So, so he comes to the office, and he brings me a plant. He noticed my office was barren, and so he brings me a plant. It's one of those little viney plants that grow and surround the whole... Uh, the whole area where, where it's at just keeps growing if you don't trim it. And so he gives me this plant, set it there on the table where we met. The next day, I come in, and my office manager is in a panic. She said, Pastor Brian, she goes, there's something crazy happening here in the office. I said, what's going on? She said, I don't know how it happened, but there's two frogs hopping around here, and I am petrified. She, she was completely petrified of frogs. Now, in Port Charlotte, I've seen them here too. There's these, there's these frogs that are always by your door. Have you ever seen those, those frogs that are by your door? And in Port Charlotte, we always had like three or four, and, and, and Miriam would always make a run for it. She'd go, Brian, open the door. I'm going to run. And so I'd open the door, and she'd be running for about 20 feet back. She'd fly in because she did not want to even see those things. A couple times I was there, they jumped on my face. Ugh, I don't mind. That, even that got me. This slap, this slap, slimy thing on my face. Anyway, so these frogs were hopping. We catch them. The associate pastor, Ben and I, we caught them and put them outside. We're like, man, I'm glad that's taken care of. And so Ben and I had a meeting there in the office. And all of a sudden, Ben goes, Brian, he goes, I don't know. I think I just saw something. And the plant's there between us. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, hold on. So he stands up and I stand up. This pot was only this big. He says, Check this out. He goes, he opens the plant. And I kid you not, there we counted 20 frogs <laughs> in that plant that was that big. 20 frogs were crammed in this little pot, hiding under the leaves. Of course, we released them outside. But I had to think in that moment, I know this guy is my friend, but did he know these frogs were in here? <laughs> or is this a joke? He went away. I didn't see him for, for years and years. So I never got to ask him. 
I have to believe he didn't know they were in there. But one thing was this, that these frogs, they somehow gathered in this little pot and they formed a community. They weren't leaving that place. They were comfortable. They had apparently food. They loved each other's company. But hey, there, there's two frogs apparently who were into missions and outreach. They jumped out and started going around the office. But for the rest of the 20, they, they stayed in there. And as I thought about that, it reminded me of the church of Jesus, the church of God, the community of faith, is that no matter where we're at, together or alone, we are the body of Jesus. We are the community of Christ. You can be at work, your neighborhood, with your family, at a picnic. No matter where we are at, we are the community, the body of Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 5 reminds us, it says, So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I love that. Because we are the body of Jesus. We are all together different, but all together one in him. And yet we are tied together in him as well. He's restoring broken community today through his church, in his church. And he wants to do that in your lives. Maybe we've come here today and some of us are saying, you know, I need to experience community. We all need that. Whether we realize it yet or not, we need to experience community with the God of heaven through Jesus Christ, empowered by his spirit. We also need to experience that community with each other. And I praise God that God has called this church, Spring Meadows Church, to be an active agent here in Sanford of restoring broken community, here within, with each other. I know COVID has kept us apart, but friends, I want to share with you that God is leading us, I believe, right now to a place where very soon we will be getting back together more normally. But people are already coming and saying, we want to do this and that. We want to have opportunities for getting together, to fellowship, to grow. But not just that. I'm so excited because people are coming and saying, Pastor Brian, I don't want to just do things here. I want to be in the community. I want to help people. I want to minister to people's needs. I'm encouraged and excited to see what God is doing. He is reestablishing broken community in and through this congregation. And I'm excited to see what he does by his Spirit's power. And so God's call to us is that we all join in what he is doing. He simply says, look and see where I am working, pray, and then by my grace and through my strength, join me in that work, and I'll use you. As inadequate as we feel, he will use us. And so the question is, will Will we join God in establishing broken, reestablishing broken community here in Spring Meadows and in Sanford? Amen. It brings me great joy to be here with Gavin this morning, who has said, "Yes, I want to be part of God's community." I don't want to just be someone who has borrowed my parents' faith. I want to have my own faith journey with Jesus. And so we've been studying together. And this is an emotional day for me. Because I got to know Gavin many years ago in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Where I got to be his pastor. And he got to sing with us. (laughs) 
And because of Gavin singing with our little choir there at our church, I got to know a great man, his dad, Mark. And of course, (laughs) I got to know his amazing mom, Stephanie. We actually were doing PT together back then. I've had to do PT many times. I'm a klutz. I break things. I remember, Stephanie, the fun times we had making lots of noise. I don't think it's an accident that God brought me to this church at this time to serve this church family. I don't think it's an accident that the last time that I saw this family gathered together was when Stephanie had asked me to do Mark's funeral. And even though that was a very difficult time, I'm just so pleased to see how God restores his community. It's good to see Susan and Janice here and all of the rows. Today, we are not here because we're sad. We are here because we're ready to party. (laughs) We're ready to celebrate with all of heaven because Gavin has chosen Jesus. And I love Gavin. I love the questions he asks. I love the rumblings of his heart. It's been such a joy getting to know you more as you've grown and are growing As is my custom, I always ask whomever I'm baptizing to write a letter to Jesus, to God, about why they're getting baptized. Gavin asked me to read his. Hello, God. It's me again. I just want to thank you for giving me a family that loves you. A family that teaches me about you. Thank you for grandparents that give me stories about their life and about your love. Thank you for aunts and uncles that love and care for me. Thank you for my cousins that I can make memories with. I also thank you for my friends that I can laugh and play with. Thank you for my cat, for who he is and how he gives me joy. Finally, thank you for my mom who loves and cares for me and will fight for me. Thank you for Lewis, who brings me joy. I thank you for my father, who I didn't get to know that much. But the memories were great. Same with my other grandfather. I know that they would be happy And I can't wait to see them. And I can't wait to see you in heaven. I can't wait to sit at the big table with my family next to you. Please come soon. Not just for me, but for everyone who loves you. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Gavin. Mm-hmm. 
Gavin's heart is just so real and honest. <laughs> I love that about you, bro. So Gavin, you're, this letter that you've written will go in your Bible. And a year from today, because today is not just his birthday in baptism, it's his birthday in life. He's 13 years old today, so next year you can keep adding to your letter to Jesus. Every year, go back to that letter in your Bible and keep adding, telling him about your walk, your life, your heart things. So, Gavin, because you've chosen Jesus as your Savior, go ahead and grab with both hands. Right here, right here. There we go. <laughs> because you've chosen Jesus as your Savior. It brings me great pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father who loves you, the Son who died to save you, and the Holy Spirit who walks with you. Because, um, because we've been talking so much, um, Gavin shared with me his heart song. And we have a family friend who was willing to sing his heart song today for this church service. But before we get to that, I invite anyone who is family and friends to stand and line up along this wall to come and greet Gavin during his heart song. It is not... Uh, just a thing. His heart song is, I can only imagine. So let's join him and let's show him our love and care. If you would, family, come and stand here and line up to greet him as Walden sings Gavin's heart song at this time.
standing in the sun I can only imagine When all I will do Is forever Forever worship you I can only imagine Oh, I can only imagine To be surrounded by your glory What will my heart feel when I dance for you, Jesus? When all of you be still, when I stand in your presence, or to my knees when I fall, when I sing hallelujah, when I be able to speak it all, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Yeah, surrounded by your glory. To my knees will I fall when I sing hallelujah Will I be able to speak it all I can only imagine I can only imagine I can only imagine Streets of gold I can only imagine can only imagine, yeah, 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 I can only imagine, I can only imagine when all I will do is forever, forever worship you. can only imagine. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, what an amazing blessing it's been to be here today, to worship you, to celebrate community, and even a new member who has taken their stand for you, Gavin, as part of this community. And Lord, the party in heaven that's happening right now, the celebration on his behalf, we thank you so much, Father. Use him in a mighty way. Fill him with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we leave this place today, I pray that you would empower us to be your hands and feet, to be conduits of your grace, to be a people that builds community and not tear it down, but always, with our eyes on Jesus, be about your business. So Lord, we thank you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. As usual, we will have a few elders up front here if you'd like special prayer today. Uh, they'll be standing right up here so you can come join for a special prayer time. And we pray you have a blessed week. We love you. Take care. Stay safe. And we'll see you next week.